0: Welcome to Supreme Myths. Uh, I'm very excited today to have Professor Chris Green as my guest. Um, I'm going to call Chris Chris because we're friends, even though we disagree on most things. Uh, Chris is the – not only is he a professor of law at the University of Mississippi, he is the HLA Hart Scholar in Law and Philosophy, which is one of the best chair names of any chair you could have because HLA Hart was, of course – he was so famous. Uh, Chris, Chris um, went to Princeton University and then Yale Law School, and then he got a. He received and worked for a PhD at the University of Notre Dame. That university has been in the news last couple of days. We may talk about that a little bit. Um, he is the author of "Equal Citizenship: Civil Rights and the Constitution: The Original Sense." of the Privileges or Immunities Clause, an incredibly important book published in 2015. He is the co-author of a six-volume federal constitutional law textbook, which is a probably one of the uh, main textbooks on the 14th Amendment. Uh, he did, after law school, clerk for Judge Borkdale of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Um, and he is my friend. Welcome, Chris. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, my, my pleasure. Um, we're going to get into a lot of things today, but I just left... Watching the hearings that have been going on this week in the news of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. And um, I do want to ask you a very open ended first question that was raised just an hour ago or so in this hearing. And it's going to sound really dumb. Um, the audience for this podcast is mostly, I think, lawyers and law professors, but there are lay people who watch this because I do a lot of radio. So we have to, I want to make this accessible to everybody. Do judges interpret or make the law, Chris?
1: Do <laughs> uh, judges? So, um, do they interpret or make the law when they're so, deciding
0: legal questions?
1: Yeah. So, uh, so I am mean, two two big big issues in just interpreting your question there are uh, <laughs> words "do" and "the." Okay. So, um, do they? Um, depart from the correct readings of the constitution. Uh, sure. Lots of the times, uh, many times, uh, every year, um, all of them, all nine of them depart from, uh, the constitution when they, uh, decide cases, um, what they produce, I think, uh, is it's sensible to call it law, even when it's, uh, made up. Uh, so in that sense, they make law. Okay. Um, do they make the law? No, they don't make <laughs> okay, the we'll law get to that. in the okay, sense wait, wait. of
0: we'll entirely
1: okay. constituting the law. Okay, uh, okay, that, so that's we'll get to that. They make that, law in a certain sense. They make in a certain sense law in a certain sense. I'll, okay. I'll I'll say that.
0: Yeah, and the background for that is Chris and I have disagreed in the past um, over kind of a philosophical question, which is why can't Georgia prohibit all abortions or Chicago, well, Illinois. Yeah. Il- so H- can't There's a different
1: question. Why don't they?
0: Okay. But, uh, you
1: know, we got to, you want to be really clear. Say that again, Chris. I'm sorry. Say that again. So there's one question why doesn't Georgia pass a law prohibiting all abortions? And then there's a different question why can't they or why shouldn't they? Okay. Those okay. are three separate questions do, do, can, and should. So you want to be,
0: you want to be careful about slipping from one to the other. What is obvious um, already in the first three minutes of this podcast <laughs> is, is, is Chris is a rigid textualist. <laughs> and that's good. I'm um, to be careful. Try to slow down, get into
1: first gear. I, I recently bought a car. I realized you can't buy a manual transmission car anymore. So you can't. So when you say so soon, soon kids are not going to be able to understand what we mean by going into first gear. But yeah. uh, yeah. car used to have this thing called first gear, We you're really, really slow, and that's that's primarily pretty, pretty the gear that that I want to be in. Unfortunately,
0: Chris, how old are you? Uh, I turned 48 last weekend. Okay, so I'm 62. So I have 14. So when you say kids, we have different definition of kids, because but I agree with you. That's a fun, that's fun. Um yeah, I, wa- I, yeah, I want to go back for a minute though. So let's let's talk, you know, we can talk about Georgia and abortion. If like. Can can no? I, I want to go back before that. Um, okay. I want to go back to my original question because we're both originalists. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, I-, <laughs> um, I want to talk about why these here all hearings—Kagan's, Sotomayor's, Roberts, Alito's, this one—all hearings. Let's leave Bork out. We're not going we are not going to include Bork in this. But since Bork, why is it? Chris, do you think that we have to—because I want to make this topical. Why is it that, that, that the Senate has to pretend that judges interpret the law, don't make the law? Even the liberal judges could have come out today and said to Judge Barrett, Come on, Judge Barrett, are you kidding me? You had all this discretion in your Second Amendment case. You dissented. You had discretion not to dissent. You could have joined the majority. Um, you had. All, it, w- it was an open space, and what you were doing there was really creating new law, not interpreting old law. And that's not bad. It's just the truth. Why can't they say that?
1: Well, part of the thing is they do. I mean, you asked whether they interpret or make the law; um, they do both. Okay, so because they do, in fact, interpret the Constitution, uh, it's one of these 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 uh, uh, hearings. These moments are one of the few times when you get to hear, get to see uh, your representatives uh, talking about the nature of the Constitution itself, and that is distinct from uh, what courts do. Uh, so if you want to talk about what courts do, uh, there's lots of places to, to do that. When the courts make decisions is really the time uh, when that kind of conversation is, uh, is most appropriate. So at the end of June, we get lots of conversation about what just happened. Uh, but these, these hearings, I think, and I think it's a good thing um, about them that they do talk about the Constitution itself.
0: Well, well uh, you hear
1: the word oath quite a lot. You hear, uh, you know, I take an oath to support this Constitution. Um, I, you know, I've looked for, you know, just canvassed American political culture for statements like that. They happen a lot at confirmation hearings. So I think, to the extent that they do remind us that one of the things that courts do, maybe not the only thing, not the only thing. So sometimes they make it up. But they also do interpret the law that exists. They interpret the Constitution, and that exists over and above what the Supreme Court uh,
0: does. And that's let's an important drill, thing let, to Vermont. Let, let, let's let's drill down on that point. Let's really drill down. Yeah. On it. So yeah, judge, so the-, so, 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 <laughs> so the Seventh Circuit gets a case where a state prohibits all felons from owning guns, and um, they have to decide if that's constitutional or if it's overbroad. We, we, Everybody agrees the state can prohibit armed, I mean, dangerous felons from owning guns. I think everybody agrees on that. Um, okay. Oh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, Heller certainly says that.
1: Okay. Well, so no, Heller, Heller says t- all felons. Well, it says nothing in this opinion should be read to cast doubt on long standing prohibitions such as. And then it lists uh, such as laws keeping guns out of the hands of violence or mentally ill. So, Not. but okay, but then the question is re- reading that sentence from Heller is the long standing uh, doing work? Uh, in limiting the scope of what comes later. Okay, okay. so that's can, the issue that I think that the, the Seventh Circuit had to deal with. But I don't I'll want to con- talk I'll about, about that a that specifically. I'll concede
0: but, that for sake of argument. There's another way to read that passage, but I'll concede that. Oh,
1: for yeah, 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 no. But that, that, that's just, I think that's that's how, uh, that's that's one way to read it. And that, that makes the, the lower courts a job of figuring out what longstanding, pro, what, what, what prohibitions are in fact longstanding.
0: Well, no, remember, we have a state law here, um Passed legitimately through all the correct mechanisms. So the judge's job is to decide, does the Constitution prohibit this law? And then... Because, well, but remember, the Seventh Circuit's job is to decide uh, what Heller means. Yes, but, Heller, not, but we all... Right. But, yeah. but, 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 except Judge Barrett and, said... And
1: with the Constitution as well. But, but Chris... But, yeah, but, bound by Heller.
0: Hold on. Judge Barrett effectively said that paragraph in Heller doesn't bind us. It was dicta. Seven okay, I, com-
1: I, 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 I promise not to comment on on uh, Judge Barrett for a while, so I I can't can't comment specifically. On, well, I'm a, just telling what you what
0: she wrote. I'm just telling you what she wrote in the opinion. She okay. said prior prior panels of this court have held that paragraph as dicta, so we're not bound by. It. Let's go let's let's go back to the drilling for a minute. A well regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Does that constitutional provision? As interpreted by the Supreme Court and seven circ- prior Seventh Circuit opinions, um, does it lead to a what result? Does it lead when a state says all felons are disarmed from owning guns? And you then, I think, think that what a judge does at that point is interpret text, history, precedent, and come up with the best answer. And you call that interpretation one of things I do. Right? Okay. Judge Posner. Yeah, but one of the ways you can. Let me finish my thought. Let me finish my thought, then I'll ask a question and let you go. Um, Retired Judge Posner and I take the position that when you have an issue like that, where you have to interpret text from 1789, where you have to interpret maybe cases, old cases, um, where it's clearly an open space the court has not resolved, Supreme Court has not resolved, um, where the judge has discretion, what most people call interpreting the law. Retired Judge Posner and I call making and creating the law. Now, you tell me why I'm wrong.
1: Okay. So, I mean, again, I got to correct your characterization of my own view. So, what I think we do, I think you got to look at United States versus Fisher. So, I encourage people to read United States versus Fisher from 1807. Um, Chief Justice Marshall, there speaking for unanimous court, says, uh, if you've got uh, policy uh, concerns about an interpretation and you say, wow, interpretation A would be really a bad idea, okay, roughly, that gives you some reason to think that the provision actually doesn't mean that, okay. But what Fisher says is you, you can look at uh, uh, pragmatic considerations, how you know, whether something would be Uh, uh, a really bad idea. So you have this line in in Texas versus White, the the, uh, Constitution is not a suicide pact. I think that's where it it comes in. Uh, So you've got these intuitions about, well, it would, you know, letting dangerous criminals have guns would be a really bad idea. Uh, It seems just a priori, again, before you look at the evidence, a priori, pretty unlikely. That the Second Amendment well, would if you're, you're the first then guest to use a Latin hand. phrase. Okay. So, Chris, so, hold on,
0: Chris. would just wait, say, wait, wait, "Okay, Chris, let's pause, gun pause, policy. pause, pause, pause." Okay, I just want to point out you're the first guest of 13 episodes to use a Latin phrase, and I appreciate okay. that. Go ahead. Okay, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. So <laughs> anyway, so you've
1: got, you know, you got intuitions about what would be good gun policy, and you go back to the founding at that. The way I would, the way I would do it, you know, uh, I mean, there's. You've got Heller and then you've got all the undecided stuff uh, where you might have an opportunity as a lower court judge to, uh, to fill in the blanks. Uh, uh, when you're filling in the blanks, uh, if you're genuinely in the, if your job description includes constitutional interpretation, okay, then you go to the actual constitution, which is an expression of meaning uh, uh, historically situated at the time of the adoption of the provision, okay. And you go to that and you figure out uh, what that expressed in context, okay? And you've got lots of, lots of policy issues that are gonna influence how you read that, as Fisher says. James Madison in 1791, he says, uh, uh, you try the interpretation by the consequences, okay? Now, both Madison in 1791 and Marshall in 1807 say, of course, if the provision is clear, Even if it's a bad idea, you got to enforce it, okay? So if the Second Amendment said uh, all citizens, including those with dangerous felony convictions, have the right to keep and bear arms for the defense of themselves, okay? If it said something that clear, obviously you couldn't interpret it, even though, wow, that would probably be a really bad idea, okay? So, uh, I, I, I gather that Judge Posner, he's, he says, well, you know, if it's a really bad idea and it's a really old provision that you really think we should just uh, uh, forget about, just forget about it, okay? Uh, you'd look at, you do what, you know, roughly, uh, Justice Breyer, his dissent in, in Heller, uh, looks into these things, he's like, let's look at all these studies, okay? Let's conduct the largest meta-study of gun violence studies, and uh, de- determine that, you know, you, you get it best to agnosticism, uh, gun, uh, gun rights would be possibly really dangerous. So Breyer says, let's, let's be agnostic about it. Let's let uh, uh, estates, you know, keep people who, you know, commit whatever minor felonies or, you know, fraud related felonies uh, uh, from owning guns, okay? But I would think a big part of what you're doing is, and, you know, so in the Heller interpreting part of this, you, you know they say long-standing, and if you interpret long-standing, or if you interpret the Second Amendment to have a tacit exception for only for long-standing prohibitions, then you have to go back and do the history and figure out uh, which uh, prohibitions are in fact long-standing. And people who lie to the government about, you know, foot implants, uh, there's not a long tradition of keeping people like them from having guns. So that's not a long-standing prohibition. That's you know one way you could you could see the evidence. I think.
0: Well, well but I think, uh, but I think, I think Scalia in that paragraph. All he was saying was nothing we're saying here casts doubts on these things. He didn't right. say every. So we're not saying anything either way about those kind of prohibitions. Right. Well, the the key point I'm making, okay. Chris, is you know we're not saying anything about a lot of things like like assault weapons, or whatever. So my so we but you didn't answer my question or we didn't get to my part okay, of my. question. let's we, get to your question. Okay. We didn't so, drill uh, down to my question here, so. Judge Barrett and the two... And you, this is just a written opinion. You don't say that, Judge Barrett. Judge Barrett's written opinion... I don't disagree- even say anything about the
1: opinion itself.
0: So you, go ahead. You can't say anything about the opinion itself?
1: Well, I don't know. The rules are mushy, but I'm trying to stay away. So. Well, okay,
0: pause. You'll I kind of exactly have to ask you why, this, I can't even zona, why, why
1: this cone <laughs> of silence.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry? Why this cone of silence about Judge Barrett?
1: I can't, I can't tell you. You'll, you'll find out within, uh, uh, probably within a day... Why I have a code of silence. Well, this will be this, – really. this It's exciting. It's, it's very exciting. Are you I testifying? Can't, I, can't Are you testifying? About, I can't talk about why I can't talk
0: about it. Are you no. testifying? All right. Uh, well, but this, this won't get no, aired until testifying. Friday probably, so we'll know. Um, okay. All right. So but we haven't – as Chris and I tend to do, We, t- we both of us, we tangent. <laughs> I want to really focus on this question for, the, for, for the, whoever's watching this. And I know some sophisticated law professors may say this is silly, but it's not silly. This is not silly. Not silly. When a judge has to decide, hypothetical judge, does the second – now we have a different circuit. We're in, we're in the third circuit with the judge. So Judge Barrett's not involved. Third circuit, fourth circuit uh, – not, well, not it's the third. sounds
1: like i on the fifth circuit.
0: Not, okay. not to, uh, No, let, let's be neutral here. Let's, let's say okay. the Second Circuit. Um, the Second Circuit has to decide whether New York can ban all, felon, all felons from um, owning guns. Um, and the text is unclear. Yeah, yes or, just a couple yes or no answers. The text is unclear on this issue. It might be initially unclear when you first look at it. Look.
1: Okay. Clarity okay. can change over time. This is an important thing that Bayer got wrong. What can change over time? Clarity. Okay, fair enough. So it might be initially unclear, but you can learn more about the context and it can become clear.
0: Okay, Um, but I I think we're going to agree that the text is unclear whether you look at it from 1789 or today about felons because we're going to find that they – they didn't know about AK-47s, and that could have changed their mind. If, but I don't get that right now. What I, what I want, yeah, what I I, so I
1: I don't. I, I don't think we would necessarily agree about whether, at the end of the end of the day, it would if it would remain unclear. But I don't. I don't think you can just assume that after extensive historical
0: investigation, it will remain unclear. You're right. We disagree about that. Can, okay. we, can, <laughs> we, can we? Can we? Can we then try to find a place of agreement? I could try. <laughs> people. People with different priors will view the relevant history, probably in different ways.
1: Absolutely. And this is Fisher. I mean, this is the Fisher makes it very clear that how you read history is going to turn on your own views about what will be a crazy thing to say. So if, you know, if if the audio suddenly goes goes out and, um, you know, it, it seems like you're speaking French, but it doesn't match your lips, I'll think, well, I guess there's some sort of weird internet glitch that we're getting some other line, okay? But, um, you know, if you suddenly you know, start saying things that, you know, suddenly start saying, you know, Posner's approach was wrong or something, but it matches your lips, then I'm gonna think, well, I don't know, is this the kind of thing Eric would say? I don't know. Um, so, I mean, what Fisher says, and I think this is exactly right, and it's, it's very similar to what, what you just said, your prior beliefs about what would be a crazy thing to say influence your your assessment of what would be likely to be said. Okay, because you have this initial assumption that, well, other things being equal, okay, and in lots of cases, they're not equal. Other things being equal, the framers were kinda like me in these relevant respects. Okay, they did some terrible things. And, you know, anytime they start talking about Uh, uh, Slavery, you're like, I don't know. We might have really, really, really different uh, uh, views. And uh, so when you're interpreting, you know, Article 4, Section 2, Clause 3, um, knowing that they really were uh, very soft on slavery is important interpreting what those words mean uh, in the future to slave provision. Uh, But yeah, your priors are uh, going to influence you. Uh, No question about that.
0: So, especially if, and I hope I don't want to discuss this. I'm just going to say it. If you don't agree, I can't. I mean, especially if you have life ten-year un- unreviewable power, that that is likely to make. I, I I am a firm believer in the crooked timber of humanity,
1: and uh, <laughs> self-aggrandizement uh, self-aggrandizement happens all the time, and uh, okay. people live a lot longer today than they used to, and things that used to be a good idea are now. Uh, dreadfully bad ideas. Okay, I mean, I, I, uh, okay. okay, I'm w- with you on an awful lot of that. Yeah.
0: So, circle I want to get to. I'm, we're going to get to originalism core in a minute. But circling back to my question, is the job that a judge has to do, any judge, in trying to decide whether the Second Amendment prohibits a state from barring all felons, as opposed to just violent felons, Judge retired Judge Posner and I think. That that issue, when you talk about having to interpret the text by going back to the original sources and then prior decisions and then history and then traditions, right, um, at the end of the day, what you call interpretation, or what most people call interpretation, what all the senators call interpretation in public anyway, um, is so close to cre- creation as to be indistinguishable because, at least at the Supreme Court level, let's forget the lower court for a minute, they're not bound by their own cases either. So they, they have, in effect, limitless discretion when it comes to interpreting all the tools you want them to interpret. I don't mean any result is possible. I mean on the binary question, can states outlaw f- all felons from owning guns? Yes or no. Just yes or no. The answer to that is creation, not interpretation. Tell me why I'm wrong.
1: Uh, They can get away with a lot.
0: okay. Uh,
1: But, you know, when they say things that are wrong, uh, they get called out on them and they have a constituency, even though it's highly unlikely that they're ever going to be impeached or removed. They care about. Their reputations and uh, uh, people like you and me can influence their reputations. And we <laughs> I don't can think say, so, but
0: okay. <laughs> Maybe you. I mean,
1: people yeah. not matter about people like, you know, people hot, much higher up in the food chain
0: yeah.
1: uh, can influence people's reputations. And uh, when they, you know, look at details and they say, wait a minute wait a minute, you look at this, you cite this page number of a brief and you look at the brief and you look at the data, it says something contrary to what you cite it for. Okay, this is something I've done and I don't know how many people paid attention, but this is the kind of thing that like, you know, if he's, if that guy says something in the future about a fact and cites a brief, I'm gonna be skeptical. Okay, and I'm gonna tell other people to be skeptical. And anybody who looks up that page number that citation is gonna eh, you know just not trust that judge on uh, on matters of detail? Okay, that's, okay. that's and, want, and that. if, so if you get so if you get the question of just like do tra- is is traditional uh, 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 disarmament uh, of dangerous be- of, of felons does that extend all felons or merely the dangerous ones? Uh, you know, if that history is wrong, you might not be able to tell immediately. You might not be able to tell uh, in five years or ten years, but. You know, I think you give it seven or eight uh, uh, good dissertations, and you know, the truth, I think, will ultimately out. Um, that's 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 the uh, the hammer we have. It's a very you know, it's not a very big hammer. It's it's not doesn't move very quickly. But uh, but shaming sanctions are are basically what we what we try to impose and reputational costs. Imposing reputational costs on p- people who commit intellectual errors is uh, roughly the only sanction that we have, and it's, uh, it's 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 a weak sanction, but it is a sanction.
0: Um- I am very confident that this that Supreme Court justices do not care about intellectual errors. They do care what people think of them because they're human. And some might care what the New York Times thinks. Some might care what the Federalist Society thinks. Some might think what other judges think. They obviously care. Um, they care what people come up to talk to parties and say. Okay. So like, but, like,
1: but, like Scalia's rage concurrence. You know, he had a bunch of people come up to yeah. at, at like cocktail parties and say like. What were you smoking? Okay. You know, were you using some of the material
0: from the uh, from the case? Uh, for, for, for those listening, wait, wait, Chris, Chris, stop. For the, uh-huh. hold on. For those listening, you keep assuming a, a rage was about whether Congress could outlaw the possession of marijuana. People might yeah. know that. Yeah, and Rach Schle- is and oh, Scalia top. said they and Scalia said they could, but hold on, Shelby County involves not only uh, the concoction of a principle of equal state sovereignty that's not in the text and counter to the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, whatever its connection to the original Constitution, um, but also... I don't think that's debatable, but, if I, but that's not the point I want to make. It's debatable. I don't know. It's, it, it's not yeah, debatable. It, I don't have a particular – not, not debatable. carrying water for Shelby County a whole and, lot. The 13th but. and 14th Amendments could not have given rise to a principle of equal state sovereignty. But leaving that – that's it not what I'm talking to about. Yeah. There's background stuff. In, yeah. The word proper in, has, has equality connotations, I think. In 1965 – and this is a – now this What I'm about to say is a fact. In Katzenbach in 1965. The court rejected an equal state sovereignty argument emphatically and with clarity. Justice Roberts never overturned that. He distorted it with ellipses uh, to say that there is a principle of equal state sovereignty, which there is when states come into the union, but not when they're already in the union. That's what the 65 case said. He deleted the part about when they come into the union. It was shameful. Just let me finish. Justice O'Connor. In Adoran, in a big affirmative action case, called a previous affirmative action case, Metro Broadcasting, a departure, a significant departure. That's demonstrably false and wrong. We can go further back. In Younger versus Harris, a famous abstention case in federal courts, Justice Black lied about a previous precedent, the Dombrowski case, and said it meant something that it it, uh, didn't mean, something that it did mean. And then there were 50 other examples. So I agree with There's you. There's thousands. There's See? thousands.
1: There's a lot more than just
0: 50. Okay. Ahead. Okay, good. Chris and I agree there are thousands of examples of demonstrably false statements. In, well, that's a good tagline. Chris Green and Eric Siegel agree there are thousands of demonstrably false statements in Supreme Court opinions. That's good. They don't care about that. They do care about results. They do care about how their reputation is, is affected by results. I don't think they care that, that their reasoning was sloppy. I want to talk about originalism. Define okay,
1: it. I think they care about. That. I think they care about this a little bit, you know. When
0: there's no thousands evidence. of people saying the same there's thing, there's no evidence of that. Error. Justice Kennedy was shameless, right, about doctrine. There's no evidence that he cared,
1: right? Uh, I mean, Kennedy. I mean, Kennedy's the one with the, with the uh, egregious error in the, uh, in the in the citation of brief. He and he didn't respond to counterarguments. I mean, both he and Rehnquist. I think their failure to respond to counter arguments is is just just really bad. I mean, you Agreed. know, when I look at, when I when I teach teach these cases, um, I, I, I I show them Kennedy stuff, I show them Rehnquist stuff, and I look at the dissent, and you're like, well, where's the response to this dissent? And they're like, oh, they just didn't feel like they had to do that. Don't be like that. Okay? Yeah. And you yeah, look yeah, at Stephen Stalia going back and forth in the footnotes, and I said, that's how to be. You know, so, you know, I think... You know, Kuhn talks about paradigm shifts happening in intergenerational, like one generation finds itself unable to convince the next generation that this is the way to do it. Uh, I think, uh, you know, our job as professors and, you know, again, people higher up in the food chain are, are much more important about this. But when they point to opinions and say, don't do it that way. Uh, that has an effect. And, you know, people who grow up uh, having the you know, these ellipses that, that are screwed up. I mean, there's some stuff in Bernie that is just, oh, my word, I can't believe that, that nobody pointed this out. Right. Um, right. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, if you grow up and you have professors who say, you know, look at that, don't do that. Uh, and, you know you get more careful uh, judges in the next generation so, so, so the, I, yeah, the, I think that's it has an effect the best exa- but, but i let's think go that, on to other stuff
0: i think the sing- I, I think we'll agree on this i know people want us to disagree but i think we'll agree on this i, I think one of the most pernicious examples of that ever uh, is romer which is a case where the Supreme Court overturned a constitutional amendment in Colorado that said no more special protections for gays and lesbians. And Justice Scalia and the state of, of Colorado both argued vehemently that a previous case, Bowers versus Hardwick, was very relevant to this case. In fact, decided this case. Whether that's true or not, I don't care. But it, it was all in Scalia's dissent. It was all in the briefs. And Kennedy doesn't. Mentioned yeah. Bowers yeah. No,
1: once. It's it, yeah. I mean, and Kennedy's like lighting himself on fire trying to get Kennedy to respond to Scalia. It. Scalia is yeah. Scalia is uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, Scalia is and and uh, I think. I mean, it's just. I think it's a terrible thing. We not agree. Not to, to counter arguments. one of my students. Uh, what he did is he he went through Westlaw to see which dissents had uh things that were marked in westlaw as like you know you know majorly discussed or you know examined by and precedents that were mentioned by a dissent and then not mentioned by the majority and seeing which which justices uh do it the most and i had this hunch that it was going to be kennedy coming out on top uh and he did i i i shouldn't i probably shouldn't describe it without without uh Remembering the details better than I do, but uh, but yeah, that's that's the kind of thing that, that happened happened a lot, and Requist did it
0: uh, a lot uh, too. I think I think Romer violated the rule of law. I th- I mean I think imagine well, the talking thing, the to one one your con- a Romer. Imagine I mean, talking to your cl- Im- imagine the client. Imagine the in this case is a state, but imagine the, the the you know the the general count, the attorney general for Colorado, and the and and and, and the client thinks that Romer is going to be the main part of this discussion and the dissent says it should be and the briefs say it should be and it's completely ignored. It's not even it's, um, it's crazy. OK, well, I, mean, that, thing, I mean, just let me add this
1: one little bit about yeah. about, about about Romer is that, uh, you know, this is 96, seven years later, of course, Kennedy overrules Bowers right. in uh, uh, in Lawrence. And what, what is his rationale? His rationale is, oh, well, you know, in Casey versus Planned Parenthood, uh, we have this, you know, know, at the heart of liberty is the right to define your own concept of existence. But Casey itself, in 92, when they asked whether uh, the foundations of Roe from 73 had been eroded in the past 19 years, didn't say anything about Bowers. OK, so if you think Bowers in 86 and Casey in 1992 are in conflict, Casey did not think that they were in conflict. So then uh-huh. when he comes back in Lawrence and says, oh, what's our reason for overruling Bowers? Casey, which said there had been no erosion of the. I mean, just I. Yeah, I was um, yeah, that kind of thing happens.
0: I often point to Romer as one of the th- hundreds of cases that suggest the court is not a court because courts deal with counter arguments yeah they're i mean they're, they're still in court they're just doing it really bad uh but really poorly uh i'll say so so i've had other people say to me eric it's not that the court is not a court. that's a terrible court
1: yeah, At some yeah, point, that's what I'm
0: yeah some point those merge all right we we've gotten I like thing. um so i have a couple yes no questions about originalism and then i'll let you sp- speak okay? okay is originalism and it or they
1: um I mean, I don't even know what it means. It's it, it's a it's a view. It's I would say it's, uh, family it's a family of It's a view that has. I mean, it's a family of views, I guess. Uh, so saying okay. it's a they is a little odd. It's not. I wouldn't define it in terms of a person. No,
0: obviously. I'm not. Just saying there are many different forms of originals. Right? Yes, yeah, right.
1: I would define it chiefly in terms of propositions rather than people. Though. So saying it's a they is is I think a trouble.
0: I didn't mean they as people. I'm sorry. I meant they as. I meant they as. Um, there were a lot of different. There's different originalism. Yes, absolutely. Okay, um, and we would agree that 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 uh, at least on paper, Judge Bork's and Raul Berger's the 1970s originalism is very different than Scalia's and Randy Barnett's and yours and other people's today.
1: In certain ways.
0: So I mean,
1: Berger Burger was very clear that he refused to distinguish meaning from application. Uh, Bork, very clearly oh, distinguished. You're, you're going way too fast. Okay, so, the
0: audience.
1: but Berger and Bork are different. I mean, they just say sure. 1970s original. Again, defining it in terms of people, I think is, is itself too quick.
0: Okay, so um, the, domi- the, the dominant, a-, a dominant part of originalism in the 1970s was strong judicial deference, a dominant part of originalist theories today doesn't have that component. Is that fair?
1: Okay, yes. I would really distinguish... I I think that's a category mistake to talk about whether originalism includes deference. I would say originalism is a view about uh, what the Constitution... I got to hold up my question. I knew you were going to hold it up.
0: I knew you were going to hold
1: it up. Go ahead. Okay, so... You have one question, which is, what does it mean to say something is constitutional? So you've got this word, the Constitution, what does it pick out? That's the question that originalism is dealing with. How restrained we should be as judges or, you know, uh, judges should be or executive branch officers uh, or legislators or state officers, just different officers in, in the system, how restrained they should be in interpreting the Constitution, is a separate question. And you can ask that same question with respect to lots of different views about what the constitutional truthmaker is. Um, And uh, so I would say in the 70s you had a view about what the Constitution was that was in part motivated by the kind of thing that could be applied in a restrained way. Okay, but distinguishing those two issues allows you to say, well, maybe they were right about what the Constitution is, but about uh, how restrained we should be I how, um, am an advocate of restraint I think there's a clarity requirement For judicial review um, And uh, But at the same time I, I think you've got you've to depart From what Ra- Raul Berger said About
0: uh, saying that meaning is the same As application Okay um, If I asked you to define originalism How long do you think it would take you? Because uh, Answer that
1: question uh, first I, I think it would take me about 30 seconds
0: Go ahead So my my
1: originalism, okay. My originalism is the view that uh, when uh, officers who have taken an oath to support the Constitution interpret the Constitution, when that's part of their job, the thing that renders their statements about the Constitution true or false is the sense originally expressed by the text of the Constitution according to the legal conventions of the time of the adoption of that provision.
0: That's originalism, as I said. That was very good. Um, So let's apply that definition to the real world, okay, or or a hypothetical about the real world. Um, A a a six-foot, three-inch, incredibly fit and talented woman wants to play football at the— this is a hypothetical—wants to play football at the University of Georgia. And the University of Georgia says, we're very sorry. Um, we're going to limit our football team to men. Um, and we have a lot of reasons for that. Uh, but that's just how it is. And you don't get, you don't get to try out. We're sorry. Um, and, right, We're just going to blanket ban on even yeah. very tall uh, women. Right. Well, ban on right. any women playing football for the University of Georgia. Um, right. Well, let's, even make it, let's make it more realistic. You can be a kicker, but you can't be anything else. We're not going to take the chance of you being anything else. Um, she sues and says the state of Georgia, bound by the 14th Amendment, um, has denied me all kinds of rights under the Fourth Amendment to be treated the same as a man trying out for this. And you're a judge, and you have to decide this case. This is real, You have to decide well, a case.
1: I, well, the case. I'm on the Supreme Court. It. Let me
0: finish the hypo, then let me do it. Okay. So, and but I mean, what court are we talking about? You're a Supreme Court justice. Okay. And um, you said a minute ago that an originalist— would look at the sense of what the 14th and the 14th Amendment sense is expressed re- by the text. The sense expressed, it's the
1: judge's job to interpret the Constitution. Let me finish the, the question. It's
0: expressed Press, by the text. Let me okay, finish the question. You said a judge's job is to express, is to, is to identify and figure out the sense of the relevant constitutional provisions. That's expressed by the text, right? Go ahead. Yeah, and then apply that to our current problem. If it's their job to – if it's the judge's job to interpret the Constitution. Yeah. Well, in this case, it is because we have a constitutional challenge to the state of Georgia's um,
1: – Okay. But, I mean, remember there's 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 limits on what questions you
0: address. So I understand that. What do you mean? I, you know, okay. So you want me to pretend I'm a Justice Green? You're Justice Green on the Supreme Court. Georgia has barred women from – the state of Georgia has barred women from having the same opportunity as men to play football for a very prestigious insta- – football school that could lead to many benefits if you're good at it afterwards. Tell me how you analyze the case.
1: Okay, so one question is, what's the question presented? So has anyone in the case suggested moving anti-discrimination law from the Equal Protection Clause back to where it should be and the privileges of Remedies Clause? Yes, amicus amicus
0: briefs have raised that. The parties have raised it in a footnote,
1: yes. Okay, the raising a footnote, or maybe, okay, so one thing I would do, uh, so I'm on a court, if you've got five of me, I would, uh, I would look at the question presented, I would say, like, let's add a really specific question presented, let's give it lots of oral argument time, should we move anti-discrimination doctrine from the Equal Protection Clause, which is about protection from private violence, chiefly, uh, back to the Privileges or Immunities Clause, where it should have been, where the initial Uh, sex discrimination arguments were in in cases like Bradwell. Okay, Okay. stop, stop.
0: You're you're tangenting
1: on me. All right, fine. It's the privileges. How would I decide it? One question would be, are we bound by U.S. versus Virginia? Okay, you're not because you're on the Supreme Court. You're not bound. You're on on the Supreme Court. Well, horizontal stare decisis is is not just a river in Egypt. It's Um, a fiction.
0: Answer my question. How do you go about deciding this?
1: Okay, so assuming that we raise the question properly, we get lots of briefs, I would go back to, uh, uh, I, mean, I think Matthew Carpenter's argument in Bradwell from January 1872 is a very, very persuasive uh, explanation of the original sense expressed by the text of the Privileges or Immunities Clause. And what that, ta- what that sense is, is equality in civil rights for all similarly situated citizens of the United States. That would mean that you have to look at uh, Georgia's uh, professed rationales to see if
0: they're completely bogus. We're afraid okay. we're, we're afraid girls will hide their pregnancies from us and get hurt while playing football.
1: Um, I guess it would depend, you know, how crazy things get uh, uh, at, at Georgia in terms of hiding pregnancy. I think hiding pregnancy seems like a, a kind of a weird uh, rationale. I think just genuinely, generally, generally. Uh, uh uh people getting hurt because there's you know differences in in uh strength. Yep. Okay. Um it depends what what you know you okay, know what so the Chris, but that's my point. But wait, hold, on, hold on but that but that's my point. Yeah you know, the factual issues if you once you get into the factual issues, the difference between originalism and non originalism gets a lot smaller.
0: Oh it I love that into zero though. Matt, tag that <laughs> I love that it's not Say zero it. though. Say smaller, it again. But not
1: zero.
0: Say I never said it. Say it again. Once, I mean, once you distinguish
1: meaning from application,
0: I questions minutes. But tell, tell the people what you mean by that.
1: Okay, so you've got to. Uh, so the sense is equality, and I think that's uh, this is what my book argues is equality in the civil rights of all similarly situated citizens of the United States okay this is what the dissent roughly what the dissenters in the slaughterhouse cases say and bradwell uh, uh decided the same day this is this is what both carpenter no, arguing for my I'm, uh,
0: I'm accepting i'm accepting so. your legal rule i'm accepting your standard go on okay but then okay so then you have this question this factual question
1: which citizens are similarly situated to which fellow citizens yes so you got this plaintiff who's six three but Okay, six three. I mean, is six three and you know, you know, really strong. How heavy uh, are we talking? How strong? How much can uh, can she lift? That kind of kind of question. Uh, there's just a bunch of other questions about you know whether it would be generally safe uh, for a particular person to play uh, football. You have also questions about the costs of having a, a scheme where you you have that kind of. Uh, 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 question. The, the methadone case from the 70s, New York Transit, I think, talks about, you know, d- you know just because you have an equality requirement doesn't mean you get to always argue for an exception. Okay, so you got a bunch of policy questions relevant to who is situ- similarly situated to whom. Someone like Judge Posner would just say, okay, we'll just decide the policy question. Should we have women uh, football players? Um, the issue that people like Carpenter would look at uh, would be very similar. It would still be limited to civil rights, okay? So you'd have this additional question, for instance, whether being on a football team is a civil right or some sort of political right. And it, it, the argument that it would be some kind of political right would be a little bit uh, little bit weird, okay? But if you're talking about like, uh, you know, some group of people that is uh, doing official functions on behalf of the university that requires a bunch of strength or something like that, uh, maybe you could make an argument that it would be a political right. Even if the limit to civil rights instead of political rights in the 14th Amendment uh, is a bad idea, I would say we're bound by privileges of citizens, which means civil rights, not political rights.
0: Does so, that help at all? Well, I'm know. not sure. So, that, uh, let, that's, let's, so let's just drill, drill down a little more. So – if you think precedent – I don't think precedent matters, but you think it matters a little. So in VMI, I believe Justice Ginsburg – the case was does, does, does the Virginia Military Institute, which is a, a taxpayer-funded institution that provides enormous benefits to the graduates of that school uh, in the military, um, can they exclude women? And Justice Ginsburg said – lo- I think she said more or less – as long as there's one qualified woman, just one, to do it, then they have to let her do it. Genuine, genuine physical
1: differences between men and women rega- remain cause for celebration rather than denigration. So if, if, it's, if the classification is genuinely based on real physical differences between men and women, uh, you can do it, even under VMI. Ginsburg herself said that for the court.
0: Well, I think she also said if one woman can meet VMI standards, then they have to let her in. I think they said. that.
1: Right, right. so she said, you know, but not for denigr. You, you, you know, if if they're genuine differences, they're the cause
0: for celebration, but not for denigration, and not for artificial limits. Right, but we're, but we're clearly denigrating women when we say you can't get into VMI. It's clear. It's obvious. That's an obvious thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, distinguishing yeah. a pedestal from a cage is is sometimes tricky. Um, there's no there's no pedestal there. There's no pedestal there. Um, it's just a cage. Um, going back to the University let's go of Georgia,
1: to UVA. If they want to have civilized education, uh, I mean, go to UVA. I don't know. No, I, no, I, you I, can't I, go to UVA. Not, uh,
0: no, no. no. Yeah. The benefits of being an officer in the military going to VMI and UVA not the same thing. Um, but go to West Point. I mean, go, that, to the, let, go, go to the. Let's go back America, to the University of Georgia America. for a minute. Um, okay. I think I heard you say, and we may, I think, ag- agree on this more than we think we do. I, I think I heard you say that. If we agree on the legal principle, which in your case was, oh, say, just let me talk after you say it. But say the sense. The legal the legal standard governing this case is okay. The legal standard
1: uh, is, uh, under the original meaning of the privileges yeah. or remedies clause. I yeah. think the, the question is are. Um, I mean, you know, so and the, the legal principle of the Privileged Humanities Clause is all similarly situated citizens of the United States get the same civil
0: rights. OK. And the question whether someone is I'm not going to argue with you that should I'm going to concede that should be the legal standard. Now, of course, in the real world, you know, equal protection would be the standard. But in this yeah, world, I agree with you
1: now, would be a lot like the BMI standard. Right
0: now to determine who is similarly situated and who isn't. I think I heard you say that's not an originalist, or at least originalism and non-originalism will we'll, we'll ask that question in a very similar way. There may be some difference, right. but in a very right. similar way.
1: Yeah, probably. So, I mean, I guess it depends on the non originalist how they'd ask the question. But, yeah, you know, good policy yeah. regarding uh, uh, women on football teams – and uh, whether, whether particular right. people are, are similarly situated to, to other citizens of the United States right. under the Privilege of Clause, those are going to be very similar questions. So the so difference, Chris, I mean, as a result, the difference between originalism and non-originalism is smaller than you might think, but it's not zero.
0: Okay, that's fair. Fair. So Chris, leaving aside the Second Amendment and the Recess Appointments Clause, leaving aside those two parts of the Constitution, most, if not all, Constitutional litigation in the Supreme Court involves freedom of speech, free exercise of religion, establishment of religion, all the stuff in the Fourth through Eighth Amendments about unreason- you know, unreasonable searches and seizures, cruel and unusual punishments, double jeopardy, all that, equal protection, due process, privileges or immunities in, in your world. I think most of us agree on what those provisions, what, what the original sense of those provisions were. No cruel and I unusual punishment.
1: I, think, I, I think there's a lot of disagreement about the original meaning expressed by those texts. You do or don't? I think there's a lot of disagreement. Well, but I and mean... there's, also, there's I, I think the Supreme Court's approach to incorporation has been completely don't, wrong. Don't go there. Since don't, go, go, don't, don't, don't go
0: there yet. Right. We all okay. agree on freedom of speech, we are, right, You. We all agree on freedom of speech. We, are, we want freedom of speech. But in any case where someone says their freedom of speech is being violated, then we ask, why is the government doing this? And they're going to have a reason. And then we have to say, is that reason sufficient to abridge your freedom of speech? And let's just take the Internet, which raises all kinds of issues about freedom of speech. Any issue, any non-frivolous issue involving the Internet, threats on the Internet, is there an immediacy requirement to threats on the Internet? That is the same thing to me. Let me finish. That's the same thing to me as the kind of factual questions you asked about the University of Georgia's position, um, whether lethal injections are cruel and unusual punishments, whether the president can assassinate an American citizen using a drone strike where no Americans are at risk, or, or, and so on. All of those questions that involve a government rationale against a principle we largely agree with are going to be decisions that have to be decided in the here and now, not 1789. Yes or no?
1: Uh, no. Okay. You're wrong about that. Go ahead. Okay, you're, so... By the way, you have about, you know, you about, about three minutes to tell the world why I'm wrong. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm on individual punishments. There's a lot of, uh, of back and forth. Uh, John Stineford has has a view, and there's a lot of discussion from from other folks about what cruel and unusual means. Uh, Sam Bray has an excellent article with a wonderful word, hendiatus, uh, about uh, the Eighth Amendment. Uh, the First Amendment, you've got Judd Campbell's work, work which both you and I uh, uh, like a lot. Um, and there are people who, who push back uh, on that uh, a little bit. In terms of the, the whether the president has the authority to wage war, uh, I think you look back at the, the founding, uh, uh, you look at Prakash and Ramsey's stuff on that, uh, it's very clear that the power to declare war uh, is only in Congress. So if the president is by a war making act declaring hostility against a particular group, whether it's by drone strike or by, you know, a cannon or a, uh, a musket, uh, that's something that, the, that is exclusively in the hands of Congress.
0: And you can pause. verify
1: that going pause. to the original
0: history. So to say wait, that oh, wait, it's just pause, a whether it's
1: really bad, no, it's not.
0: It's history. Pause. On the president's power to – I think you said wage war. Um, yeah, precaution, Ramsey are great on this. The Well, I, I don't think so. Um, and, and, by the way, as a policy matter, I think Obama clearly violated the Constitution when he assassinated – not clearly, but he, he violated the Constitution when he assassinated an American citizen who was having lunch in Yemen, not on the battlefield, and no court had ever judged this citizen <laughs> – yeah,
1: so when you say, as a
0: policy matter, it's
1: unconstitutional. I don't. I
0: don't even no, know. What I that didn't mean. say that. I think it's unconstitutional. I, think it, I, did, I, I didn't say that. I think it's unconstitutional under due process. He can't kill an American citizen not in the battlefield. I, I don't think you can do that. But leaving, but, but leaving all that aside, the reason why Ramsey's work and what you just said doesn't make sense to me is, first of all, the first of all doesn't. First of all, the power to declare war. I don't think in and of itself says anything about necessarily what do we do when the missiles are coming? The president can absolutely respond to that in, in five minutes with his own missiles and go on the offensive before Congress declares war. That's absolutely. Right. That,
1: so, so, I mean, one, one issue about what the word declare means, you yeah. got to go back. And there's a whole bunch of 18th century uh, uh, history that Ramsey and Prakash uh, look at and they say, look, there's a bunch of places where people talk about war being declared by deed. So it's not an explicit war uh, uh, would, a set of words saying we declare we hereby declare war on you. But like they blew up our ship. That is a declaration of war. So you find lots of references to that kind of thing.
0: Um, and um, no, 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 no. Hold on. The fact that another country has declared war on us doesn't answer the question. Wait a minute. Russia sends their ICBMs toward us. Right. So there's
1: a, there's a repelling sudden attacks
0: thing. So oh, where's that? Where's the repelling sudden at, attacks thing in the Constitution? Yeah. So there's a distinction between declaring war and waging war.
1: Yes. And and, and so, you know, there, at, at, in the convention, I think it's Madison who says, well, we're going to give the power to declare war, which is the power to take us from a state of peace into a state of hostility. Uh, we're going to leave that entirely in, in uh uh, uh, Congress's hand. But if another nation takes us from a state of uh, peace into a state of hostility, the president can repel sudden attacks. And uh, yeah, when the ICBMs are coming, like, whoa, the ICBMs don't get launched by uh, peaceful countries. Uh, looks like we're at war. Okay. Uh, you can repel Chris, a sudden attack. And sudden is going to be a really
0: fact-intensive question. But, but, but of course, no case involving that's ever going to get to this, any court but not a time before the before right. we got to hit the button right. right but there are many hard questions for there example for questions for example and then we got to go this has been great for example we we, you know we could for example the Taliban starts accumulating what are possible materials for really terrible weapons in Afghanistan or Iran starts doing that and we think that Iran's threat to Israel is a threat to us and is very serious. They haven't; they don't have the weapon yet, but they may get it in six months, a year, or two years. Can the president unilaterally, without let me finish Congress's assistance or, or declaration of war, take out that weapon, even at those those things building the weapon, even if that means killing innocent Iranians who are just there? Um, any question involving any of that, to me, which that won't, that won't go to court either, but, but, but questions like that could—I mean, there are people who challenge the, assass- the assassination of that American citizen in court um, no, no. After, a- after the fact. My point here is the fact that someone in Afghanistan or Yemen can use a cell phone to blow up a bomb in New York City or Los Angeles to kill 100,000 people in an hour, that fact— and the fact that we can take them out with a drone strike with no risk to American lives are, are all facts that no one in 1789 could possibly have anticipated, and will go into a judge's calculation about whether this is an unconstitutional war thing or it's not. And that's right. not originalism, right? I mean, that's well, just—it's
1: taking you take again. You take the original sense, and you have to add the actual facts. So sudden is the word that Madison uses. And they understood that as technology changes, suddenness uh, 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 calculations are gonna be different. I mean, you look at Thomas Babington Macaulay; he has this classic place where he talks about what level of risk justifies self-defense. And obviously this is gonna be a fuzzy boundary, but uh, it's still a boundary, which is morally hugely significant. And I think it's basically the same question, uh, how much risk in what time uh, do, do you have to have to have something count as sudden? Okay, and Agreed. yeah, that's going to be factually dependent, but it's the application of a of a, of a general uh, standard that's articulated. I think in I mean, it's implicitly articulated in context by the words executive and then giving uh, declare war power to the Congress. That's that's uh, uh, Ramsey and Prakash's view, and it seems it seems pretty plausible to me.
0: I agree. Uh, um, so I, I so it's my podcast. So before I thank you, I get to have the last word. Um, that's good. <laughs> um, I do oh, think. I'll we'll come back at you on Twitter anyway. <laughs> yeah, you will. I, I, um, I, I, I think most people accept that when we're talking about the universe of Supreme Court litigated constitutional law cases. So I'm talking about the universe of con law cases that get to the Supreme Court. What you call foul, fuzzy boundaries? You just said that are going to be present in virtually all of those cases. And the differences between originalists and non-originalists will fade away in 95% of the cases. Not all of them. Heller Heller wasn't that. Noel Canning wasn't that. But in most cases, the difference between originalism and non-originalism will fade away, and they'll just decide as a policy matter the contours of those fuzzy boundaries. And I think that's obvious. Just talking about Supreme Court.
1: I, I don't know about 95%. It's a lot. It's okay. a lot. There's cases like Reynolds and, and DeShaney that I think don't involve it. Okay. that is thought you wanted the last word. I'll let you go. If, but if, Reynolds it's okay, DeShane, always, so, is always my
0: answer to that. So maybe since 1945, there have been 20 of those cases. But there are hundreds and hundreds of con law cases. So, I mean, you know, I think most of them have fuzzy – anything involving unreasonable searches and seizures is going to have fuzzy boundaries. Same thing with right. criminal right. punishments. All right. Chris, I really, really appreciate this. Yeah, You're right. Was, we should have done a we should have I should have considered a two part thing. because <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, we could come back and do another. We could watch the video and then like, okay, yeah. we've
1: just watched it and now we just kind of continue the fight and then put it as a as a two part thing separated by
0: uh, you, know, you know our ability to watch it. your big uh, yeah. reveal about why you can't talk about Judge Barrett I think will be public by the time this is aired. I, I certainly hope so. If it's okay. not, I'll be I'll be very embarrassed. But oh, okay. Well, I think if you are, if, if the big reveal is you will be testifying in favor of her, no, I, think, no, I think, not not in person. Uh, well, yeah, not, not. not written for. Her. I'm not I'm not going to be testifying. Okay. Um, Chris, thanks a lot. This has been. I really I loved. I I, I want to say that I really I learn. I always learn, and I enjoy our conversations very much. Yeah, and, and frankly, I I
1: get so many comments from people. I run into people from time to time who say like, "Oh, I never comment on your Twitter uh, uh, exchanges with Eric, but I really learn a lot from them." Uh, and that that's what keeps me keeps me going is is you know on on Twitter is uh, people who say things like that. And I do I do think it really is illuminating. Uh, if uh, it's frustrating, you know, constantly making the, the same arguments again, but I think it, it really is helpful for the audience.
0: For whatever it's worth, cool. I I get that too, and uh, I, I think. Maybe in our, little, in our little corner of what we do, maybe that affects some people in a positive way. I, I, I yeah, hope so. I hope so. Hope so. so. Thank um, you, but Chris. It, it was, it was wonderful thing. to have be, be on the show.